Hello and welcome back to Little MB. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Well, I figured I'd go ahead and do a, another episode because screwing around with all that sponsorship BS wasn't getting many put out and something I was wanting to talk about anyway. So took my shower and decided to go ahead and do one. And for any of you ladies who are interested in a guy who is blind, a little fat, and a whole lot of sassy, I do take a shower once a month, whether I need it or not. Just just so you know. I'm just one of those guys. <laughs> but, uh, now today's going to be a little bit different. Well, I guess I kind of did one on, did, uh review a little bit of the book 1984 however for one it was clunky and for two it was more in regard to all the things that were essentially predicted in the book that have essentially come into fruition so and this is going to be more about an author uh mr cormac mccarthy Phenomenal writer. I absolutely love the guy. However, there are things that I don't quite get, but it is what it is. So, he was actually born in 1933 in Providence, Rhode Island. Then his family moved to basically Knoxville, Tennessee. I think it may have been right outside of Knoxville. That's where he spent most of his childhood went to college, then joined the Air Force for four years, then went back to college for a couple years and dropped out to work on his writing. And then in 1976, he moved to El Paso, Texas at the age of 43, and apparently that's where he's been. Now, I thought it was quite interesting him being from Rhode Island. For any of you who are familiar with his work, I'm sure you'd understand why because a lot of his stuff is about the border, Texas, New Mexico, and it's got a, in Mexico itself, and it's got a lot of Spanish in it. And the cool thing about the way he uses his Spanish is the majority of it, you can figure out what he's, what they're saying. You don't have to be fluent in Spanish to get the majority of it. However, there are sections in some of his books that are in Spanish. In if you don't know Spanish, you ain't got a clue what they're talking about. So that could be a little frustrating. But Cormac McCarthy, I believe the first book that he had that got turned into a movie was All the Pretty Horses. And the movie's from the 90s. It's got Matt Damon in it. Uh, Penelope Cruz is the little hot Mexican chica of the movie. And Billy Bob Thornton was the director of the movie. And it was phenomenal. Great movie. And it's one of those... I actually saw the movie long before I knew it was a book. I never knew it was a book until the past couple of years, like maybe two years ago when I 
actually started to get into reading. Um, All the Pretty Horses is the first book in what they call the Border Trilogy. The second book is The Crossing, and the third book, City of the Plains. All the Pretty Horses is the best out of the three. But The Crossing could stand on its own. So basically with this trilogy, uh, John Grady Cole is the main character in All the Pretty Horses. Uh, And then Billy Parham is the main character in The Crossing. Uh, John Grady Colts in Texas and goes to Mexico. Um, Billy Parham is in New Mexico and he goes to Mexico. So I, I don't know if the trilogy was his plan from the start or if it just worked out that way. Because like I said, The Crossing can stand on its own from all the pretty horses. And it's even though I don't think it's as good, it's still an amazing book. Then the third book, City of the Plains, and that's where John Grady Cole and Billy Parham are both working at the same ranch, and they're kind of buddies. So it's just phenomenal. And if if you don't know who he is by all the pretty horses, he's the guy that wrote the book No Country for Old Men that the Coen brothers made the movie. And the book is phenomenal. And if you get the audiobook, if you if you like audiobooks, I definitely suggest audiobooks for the Border Trilogy and maybe even No Country for Old Men. And essentially all of his books, even Blood Meridian, it's got it's Spanish in it. And so it's easier, I think. I think it would be easier to pick up on what they are saying in Spanish and being able to know what they're saying, you know, English-wise, by hearing somebody else read it who knows how to read it, if that makes any kind of sense to you. Because for one, it just makes the flow better. You aren't sitting there staring at it being like, uh, what's this? But he's just got a lot of badass books, a lot of badass books. But the the thing that I don't understand is, is for one thing, his first book was uh, The Orchard Keeper in 1965, and I have not read that one. Over his career that is currently 56, well, I don't think he's written anything since uh, The Road in 2006. But either way, he's essentially, you know, 56 years 56, 60 years is how long he's been writing books. So, the thing that I don't understand, Sutri is widely considered to be his best work. And it was published in 1979. And the thing is, he didn't get any awards for it. He's gotten a couple national book awards. One of them was for All the Pretty Horses. He may have gotten one for No Country for Old Men. I don't really recall. But um, the last book that he has published is The Road, which he got the Pulitzer for fiction, for novels, for that book. And I think it was a gift. 
I just finished the road. And, and that's the thing, like I said, I love the guy. I love the guy, even though, here's another reason why audio may be a better format for you. It, it depends on your vocabulary. Because when you hear somebody else reading some of these books, the way things are getting described and read, he's got a pretty extensive vocabulary. It seems to me that at times he'll write a paragraph and then go back with a thesaurus and pimp it out, make it poetic and all that kind of stuff, which is cool. Don't get me wrong, it's cool. And I, I, it's, it's got to be one of the reasons why they consider him to be a good writer. For those who don't know, I've been working on writing a couple books myself. It's one story, but it's so big it's not going to be able to get done in one book. If I'd ever be lucky enough to get it published, the thing is, is I've never, obviously been published before except for writing some editorials for the Peoria Journal Star and I got one or two in the local Washington reporter or courier or whatever the hell it is but the thing is is I realize I know and understand that since I'm 41 I've never been published before and chances of me writing anything after these books is slim to none all right so for one, I understand that the chances of me getting picked up with these books are slim to none, first off. Second off, I understand that unless I already have the second book completed, there is no way a publisher is going to take a chance on publishing a book for somebody that's 41 years old and that's never been published before. And especially considering my degree is in economics and business management and administration you know my my double major does not include any type of english or writing or anything like that so it, that would be extremely stupid for a publishing company to buy the first book of any series any series no matter how long no matter how many books it'd be dumb for them to buy that first book without having the, the, the rest of it done. Leastways, the majority of it. You know, that, that'd be pretty risky. So, for me, it's not that I don't have a vocabulary, but for me, I want my book to stand on its story. I, I, of course, I think it's good. It's a good story because I'm the one writing it. If I didn't think it was good, I wouldn't I wouldn't be writing it. And I I had started writing another book. I guess it would have been in 2015 I had started writing it. And I let my girlfriend at the time and my mom read the first five chapters or whatever that I had completed. And they both loved it. They both thought it was great. But I quit writing it because it was turning into something I didn't like. I, I love the way, and I, I know this is kind of a sidetrack since this is supposed to be about old Cormac McCarthy. But um, 
what actually convinced me to do this, to actually even take this on and tr- attempt it, I've, I've read every Stephen King book. Since I came home from Milwaukee in April of 2019, you know, um, I, I can't tell you how many, I've, I've read 140 or 50 books. Because for one, it's easy for me because it's audio books. So it's nothing to, I, I use my phone, go through the iTunes store to buy my audio books. So it's downloaded on my phone. And then when I'm cooking, knitting, whatever, yeah, fuck off, I knit. You know, I, I'm listening to a book. So Stephen King, in some of his author notes and things of that nature, has talked about people asking how he writes the story and where he gets his ideas, you know, the usual BS that nobody really cares about. However, it really helped me in the sense of actually sitting sitting down and starting it. Because he describes his writing as he's just transcribing a story that's being told to him. That any time he tries to screw with the plot, it ends up being shitty. And he lets the story goes where it goes. It, and I know that sounds strange and it sounds like bullshit, but I'll tell you what, that's what gave me the confidence to actually sit down and attempt this. Because it's like, you know, if I approach it that way, I don't have to worry about creating outlines. I don't have to do this, that, or the other thing. I can just write the stories that comes to me. And that and that's what I have done. You know, that's that's how I've written this. And I've I've written the books, the two books, and then I'll go back and read it, change things, reword things, you know, clean it up essentially. But when it comes to the actual story... I just write it as it comes to me. I, you know, I, I don't sit because I, there was a couple places where it wasn't writer's block because it didn't last long enough to qualify as something like that. But there was a couple places where I already knew what point A and point C was, but I didn't know what point B was going to be. And so I was wanting, and, and I won't write point A and point C, I'll, I write point A, then B, then C. So I won't write C until I get B done. It's just, with my visual impairment, it makes much more sense for me to do it that way because it's hard to find my place in text documents and things like that, even with the outstanding software technology I got. But um, there was a couple times where I was like, you know what? I, I didn't want to wait because I was so stoked about the point C and getting it written down. So I tried to force point B and it was just shit. And so I obviously deleted it and was like, well, I guess I won't be writing until something comes to me. And within three days or so, it came to me and I was like, oh shit, yeah, that that's sweet. That makes sense. You know? But as far as my writing's concerned, I want it to be a great story. I don't give two shits 
whether it would win any kind of literary award or anything like that because of the, my expansive vocabulary, extensive vocabulary, or anything like that. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather have a good story than fancy writing. That, that's the way I look at it. And Cormac McCarthy has a lot of fancy writing in it. And it's not that his stories aren't good. His stories are good. But he's got the extensive vocabulary in it. So, um, yeah, the, this, this is why I think Stephen King is probably the best modern author that we've had. He, in his author notes and things like that, that I've listened to in his books, things of that nature... Uh, there's even been a couple audio books where he's got an interview with the producer, the the person that produced the audio version of his book, and they. So I've got like an interview of his, and they call him the king of suspense. And even though he's good at suspense, I don't I don't think he's that great at it. I think he overdoes it. You know, you know that if somebody's in a rush and they're try- they're running from somebody, if they got to get a key in the lock, they're dropping the motherfucker. And chances are, when they pick it up, they're going to drop it again. You know, it's... I-, I feel that it's extremely predictable after you read a couple of his books. And I've got over 73... It's... I've got 73 audio books of his. Some of them are books of short stories, you know, like The Night Shift with Gray Matter, The Lawnmower Man, and The Night Shift, you know, or Graveyard Shift. But what I think makes him the most phenomenal writer of my lifetime is his character building. I know a lot of people refuse to read The Stand because of its size. It is massive. The audiobook is 48 fucking hours. It is massive. And so it turns a lot of people away from it. Now, his original release of that book was in the late 70s, like 78 or 9, something like that. And for accounting reasons, they had they had said this is what people are going to be willing to pay for one of your books, and this is what it's going to cost as is. So he had to edit it, and he cut like 400 pages or more out of the original. He cut 400 pages. So that tells you how massive the original one was. Now, where I got lucky, and that is definitely an amazing audiobook. Uh, the narrator is a guy named Grover Cleveland, and he is phenomenal with the voices. And there are so many characters in that book, and it gets to a point to where you don't even need the parts of the book where it, you know, it, it says Stu said, because the guy's so good with voices, you know, it's Stu talking, you know, but. Part of the reason why the book is so big is because of the character building. He really dives in and 
I think another thing that makes him phenomenal, especially in the genre he's in, is the fact that he doesn't just jump in to the supernatural bullshit. He eases you into it. So it's a regular story, regular people, and things of that nature, you know, and they're, they are getting eased into the supernatural occurrence that takes place during the story. And so by the time you start getting to the supernatural, you literally feel like you know the characters and you know everything about them. In one of his author notes, uh, he made the comment that he speaks publicly as little as possible, but it, he said it never fails. And I think it was actually in the stand that he makes this comment um, before the story, maybe and after, who knows. Either way, he makes the comment, it never fails, that people start asking me, what happened to Stu? What happened to Franny? What are they up to? As if they've been writing me letters throughout the years. That's how real his characters are. And I think that is what makes him so phenomenal. Is Because he's got a wide range. Some people only know how to write about one, one kind of character. You know, and he can just, he just nails it. He just fucking kills it when it comes to character building. So, the reason I get into that and talk about that is because Cormac McCarthy does not get into the character building like King does. And yet, his stories are still phenomenal. In fact, The Road, the one that he got the Pulitzer Prize for, it's got the main characters is this man and this son. And that's what they are. The man and the boy. You never figure out what their names are. There, There's only one person I can recall actually giving a name and it was a first name. It was somebody they came across on the road. And so the road is a post-apocalyptic story and you you figure out all right they're talking about nuclear fallout you know you, you pretty much figure that out not not hard to figure out but he takes the bold step of never explaining what took place exactly you know it had to be some kind of nuclear war but he never backtracks to tell you what happened. In the story, you also find out that there's basically satanic groups. Because of the because of the nuclear fallout, there's no animals. They all died. All the animals died off. There's just people left and they're scrounging for canned food and shit like that. You know, there's it's it's constantly dark. You can't, even when it's daytime and it's light out, you can't see the sun because of all the ash that it keeps going around the atmosphere for however many years, you know? So the plant life has essentially died and there's constantly ash falling out of the sky and things of that nature. And he just never goes back and explains it, but d due to this, there's... 
satanic groups essentially that are that rape the women and children and that get into cannibalism so there's that fear as they're traveling south trying to get south where it's going to be warmer that that's the whole purpose and there's really no closure at the end of the story the dad dies like you know he's going to and the kid gets hooked up with some dude that's part of another group that's that's a good guy not one of the bad guys i i i just like i said i love cormac mccarthy i love him but i really think that that prize was a gift for that i think he should have gotten a, the uh pulitzer prize instead of some national award for no country for old men for all the pretty horses as well and for even Blood Meridian. And that that's what's funny too. The main character of Blood Meridian isn't even really the main character. It, it's kind of funny. It, it's, it's something you'd have to read to truly understand what I'm saying when I say the main character is not really the main character. Plus, the main character, he, he's this kid from Tennessee originally that makes his way to Texas and ends up in Mexico and doing all this. I mean, it's it's just fucking badass. It's bloody and it's horrific in a lot of places. So, I mean, if you have a weak stomach and don't think you can handle reading <laughs> about people getting scalped, then it's not going to be for you. But it, it's a phenomenal story. And you you never find out the kid's name. It's just the kid. You know, it's just really crazy how, how he can do that and still make it a, an amazing story. That's how good he is at writing stories because he can get away with, with not even naming his characters. So the road, like I said, his Pulitzer Prize book, it's a good story, but it's a bad book. And I know that sounds contradictory, but essentially, it's it's a good read. But I think there's stuff that was left out, things that he should have done. And of course, this is my personal opinion, you know. And then, like I said, Sutri is from 1979, and apparently it's widely considered to be his greatest literary work. I don't know if books are like movies that if you don't get your you don't get an award in the year that it was published then you just you never get one. I, I think it's I think it's kind of like movies and the Academy Awards and all that kind of shit where they're they're not going to go back and t they're not going to say if they do the Academy Awards next year, they're not going to go back and give Smokey and the Bandit the Best Comedy Award. You know what I'm saying? And I, I believe that the literary world is the same way. They're not going to go back and give him an award for 1979, which I'm fine with because Sutri is another one of those books. Great story. In fact, I'm listening to it again. You know, it's a great story, but it's not a good book. It's all, 
it is so weird for me. It's such a paradox for me because it's got all these stories within the story, you know, there's stuff that happens. And a lot of the stories in this book are badass. A lot of them are hilarious. You know, it's 1979 and he's in this dude, Sutri, he's in Tennessee. And he walks away from his family to, that's worth money and takes up fishing on the river down in Tennessee. And he mostly hangs out with black folks on the wrong side of the tracks. And that's the friends that he keeps. Even the white friends are wrong side of the tracks. So he's not living in his station. You know, and there's there's transvestites in the story. Now, it doesn't get into anything, like, descriptive when it comes to it. So don't let that keep you from reading it. But it's, and that's the funny thing, is I'm reading it again cause I to see if I'm wrong on this, but I don't even think you really find out that Ocean Frog and what is it, tripping through the grass or tripping through the weeds, something like that. It's the names of these two trannies. And even though I knew there was something weird with them from the way they talked and obviously their names, I didn't pick up on the, like it wasn't said essentially that they were trannies until the middle or end of the book. But here's why I don't like uh, Sutri. It's already been done twice and I fucking hate it. It's another version of Catcher in the Rye and Rabbit Run. Salinger wrote Catcher in the Rye and it's about some spoiled ass rich kid punk who's pissed off at the world because he's not getting his way. And the main purpose of the story is him trying to get laid. Him contemplating suicide and trying to get laid. Rabbit Run, I don't recall who the author was in that. And it, it, it was so horrible that I, I have not read it a second time. And it's not that I won't, but I have zero intentions on it. And what's that dude's name from Catcher in the Rye? Uh, it's been years since I've read it. Holenfield, something like that. Whatever. Rabbit. In Rabbit Run, the main character is this dude named Rabbit. And it's his nickname because he was super fast. And he was a bas- basically a basketball star in high school. He's just an older version of the main character from Catcher in the Rye. He has a kid with his wife... And so he ends up getting a job and decides he doesn't want the responsibility. So he essentially takes off. He's cheating on his wife with some other woman, knocks her up and gets her pregnant. And at the end, like at the end of the story, he's literally 
literally running away. And he's running from his responsibilities to that woman as well. I mean, she started out like it started out as her being a hooker and him hooking up with her that way. And basically, he just kind of moves in with her to get away from his wife and is banging her and knocks her up. And then he just runs away from it all. Just a spoiled fucking punk. That's all it's about. And Sutri's the exact same thing. The difference is, is like, Sutri's a much longer story than Rabbit Run or Catcher in the Rye. And so there's a lot more inner stories to the story. There's stories about bar brawls that he gets into. He's in a work camp because some of the guys he's hanging out with, uh, these like white dudes he's hanging out with, they're all wasted and they decide to rob a pharmacy and he's passed out in the car while they're doing it. And so even though he was passed out, he still had to go to, got sentenced to a work camp, you know, even though he actually had nothing to do with it, you know? So, I mean, there's bar brawls, there's that, you know, there's after hour joints that he ends up in and it's, you know, it's got this other dude in there that ends up in, he meets, uh, Sutri meets this other cat in, uh, Gene, he meets him in the work camp and he's this 18 year old kid, this real small dude that basically ends up getting sent to the work camp because he was screwing some farmer's watermelons at night. (laughs) He'd go cut a hole in it and he got caught by the guy. So that's why he got sent to the work camp. I mean, there's just this hilarious crap you know, there, there were, part of the story was there was something going on with uh, some disease getting spread. It may have been rabies. It's been a while since I've read Sutri and I'm not back to that part. But they've got a deal where I think it's something like $20 or something like that. If you come across a dead bat and you take it into the like Center for Disease or whatever that's there in Tennessee, they'll give you something like 20 bucks for a bat. So this kid gets an idea and he gets a bunch of strychnine and laces all these little pieces of meat with it. And he made this little catapult and he's just launching the shit in the air. And then these bats are just dropping out of the sky. And so he takes this huge sack of bats (laughs) into the center for disease. You know, he's got like 40 bats or something like that. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. Like, <laughs> it's if you find a dead bat, not if you, like, take a bunch of them out. So it, it's got hilarious shit in it, but it's the same. And it, it sucks because Sutri's one of those guys, and I guess this is why, or at least part of the reason why I don't like it is because he reminds me of people I actually know. He, he comes across as a really cool dude and somebody that you'd love to hang out with. You'd have a good time with him, drinking with him, partying with him and stuff like that. But when it comes down to it, he's a shitbag that just don't want to face his responsibility. And th- that's another thing that's kind of weird is you find out you don't even know it until you're over halfway through the book. But he just walks out on his wife and kid. And... It's a very small part of the story. 
But then he ends up basically hooking up. He hooks up with a hooker, just like Rabbit and Rabbit Run. And he and he's living off living off of her. And then essentially she starts putting on weight, getting fat, and all this other kind of crap. And so she's not hooking because nobody's hiring her. And so he just walks out. And at the end of the story, just like Rabbit Run, it's him with his suitcase and he gets in the car and leaves. I mean, that that's the big end of the story. So it's... It, I really got the feeling that McCarthy got to a point with the story that he didn't know how to end it decently. So he just has him hitchhiking and taking off. And that's it. You don't know where he goes. You don't know what he's going to do. Nothing. And so it's... And I know this is going to sound strange because I'm sitting here bitching about it in uh, the road. There's still worth reading I'm telling you they're worth reading um Sutri and The Road both don't have all the Spanish lingo in it so it's something that you could buy a cheap paperback used or something like that on Amazon or wherever and be able to read it and I'd still recommend reading them because they're they got good stories in them Um, the only other thing about Cormac McCarthy that seems to be consistent is I don't think I've read one of his books that has a happy ending. You know, that's part of the reason why the, when, uh, I read the, or watched the movie, All the Pretty Horses, my cousin came by one day and he, he had it, Brian. He said, he's, he says, you, have you ever seen all the pretty horses? And I was like, no. It, just the name of it, you know, and I love horses, but the name of it just sounded gay to me. It sounded horrible. It's like, all the pretty horses, huh? He's like, dude, it's only the greatest fucking movie you'll ever see. <laughs> and it's like, okay, whatever. And what's funny is the first time I watched it, I didn't really care for it. It's not a high-intensity, action-packed movie or, or story, you know? And it, it, it was just strange because I talked to Brian afterwards after I had watched it because he had lent it to me. And I was like, dude, this movie's horrible. And so obviously we went back and forth giving each other shit about whatever just because... He loved it, and I didn't like it at all. But I found myself a week later, I couldn't stop thinking. It's like, oh, man, that part was sweet. Oh, that part was sweet. Oh, that part was sweet. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to watch it again. And the second time I watched it, I loved it. You know, how how weird is that? And so when I found out it was a book, I was like, oh, I got to read the book as phenomenal as the movie was. Because the only book and movie that I, prior to All the Pretty Horses, the only book or movie that was as good as the book and that was pretty much spot 
on no changes from the book was the green mile by uh stephen king that was that was really the only one and so what i I was like you know i really want to read all the pretty horses but by the same token i'm kind of scared to because as much as i like the movie if it's way different i'm going to be disappointed and i i wasn't the movie it turned out the movie was spot on with the book so i definitely recommend if if you like like reading it all check out cormac mccarthy and if you don't like reading i'm telling you get the audiobooks especially all the pretty horses what makes the audiobook even better is the narrator is Frank Moeller. It was before he ended up getting in his motorcycle wreck and he ended up having some brain damage from it so he couldn't read, like, do his job anymore as far as being a narrator. But that guy is another one of those that is phenomenal with the voices he does. He, you know, he does all the pretty horses. Somebody else reads The Crossing. I don't know if that was due to Mueller being busy at the time or what. But then for Cities of the Plain, it goes back to Frank Mueller. And he also does uh, he does a lot of Stephen King books. Uh, he's got a collection of short uh, novellas, which is a novella is longer than a short story, but it is shorter than a novel. And uh, Different Seasons is the name of the book by Stephen King. It's got four novellas in it. It's, it's got uh, Rita Hayworth slash Shawshank Redemption, which the movie was phenomenal. Uh, Apt Pupil. Then it's got The Body, which was made into a movie, uh, Stand By Me. And then uh, The Breathing Method. All four phenomenal. And... Frank Muller narrates all four of them. So if you get that in audio, you'll hear the crazy range that that man has with voices. They they are true performances. You know, it's and it, and it's funny and it's not really a big deal, but it's one of those things that I think is kind of funny. The movie Shawshank Redemption that Morgan Freeman was so phenomenal in and everybody called him red and I believe he wore a red hat and I'm assuming that's why but in the actual story red is an Irish dude with red hair <laughs> so it's that that was kind of funny like picking up on that when I listened to the story but I mean Muller's done it he did uh he he was doing the Dark Tower series for Stephen King when he ended up on the motorcycle accident. So George Quiddell ended up doing the last three. And I don't know why. The first time I ever read The Gunslinger by Stephen King, I was 12 years old. It was actually given to me by my English teacher, Miss Endress. She Because I just hated reading, reading books. I, I was not interested and one time she came up to me at my locker and she's like, I'm not sure if your parents would approve of me giving you this or not. But she's like, I think you'd really like it. 
It, and that was her trying to get me interested in reading. And it was The Gunslinger. So 12 years old, it's got a bunch of supernatural stuff in it. It's got a ton of killing in it. And it's got sex in it. Now, it doesn't get into, like when it comes to the sex itself, it doesn't get into a lot of detail. It's it's not pornographic in nature. Like Rabbit Run, when uh, Rabbit's hooking up with that hooker and it's having sex with her, you you get some you get some detail and it's not extensive, but it was still shocking to me, the amount of detail that it got into, you know, but it's, it, it, the gunslinger's got a scene where one of the characters, the man in black is bringing somebody back to life. And I, I know it sounds crazy or whatever. And you're just like, it's not going to sound like it makes sense, but a woman's basically, rubbing one out while it's happening, you know? So for her to give me that book, and before you say anything, I do believe the woman was a lesbian. She was an awesome lady, awesome teacher. And so, no, she wasn't trying to hook up with me. But she was cautious and nervous about giving me the book to read because of that. But what was crazy is the very first audio edition, and it was the one I had had gotten from her, Stephen King was actually the narrator. So I thought that was cool that he read his own book. Then later on, uh, sometime in high school, I believe, or right after high school, I ended up buying it on tape. I bought The Gunslinger and Frank Muller was the narrator. And so I was a little upset with that because, you know, you get used to one thing and then you have another one thrown at you, you know? So after the fourth book, Muller has this accident. So they get George Guidel to read the books, the fifth, sixth, and seventh book of the Dark Tower series. Um, I The gunslinger that I had bought was actually on tape. So when I decided to reread all that stuff, I didn't have a tape player. It's like, you know what? I, I had money from a tax return and shit like that. I was like, I'll just buy it digitally. Well, The Gunslinger was redone again by George Guidel, who does the 5th, 6th, and 7th books. I don't know if they were originally intending on having him do the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th books as well, just so the whole series was done by one person. But... If that was the case, which that's the only thing I can think of that makes any kind of sense, they just it, it didn't have the success that they thought it would as far as sales, and so that he ended up not doing the second, third, and fourth. So if you're doing audio books for that, the Dark Tower series with Stephen King, just just know that that's the case. That the first book you have one narrator, then the next three is somebody different, then the last three is back to the first guy. And George Guidel's phenomenal as well. I, as much as I love Frank Muller, and I think Frank Muller overall is much better narrating than George Guidel, George Guidel is uh, just phenomenal with the gunslinger. Just phenomenal, because I don't think there's as many characters necessarily. And he's, man, his style of reading The Gunslinger is just fucking awesome. 
But anyways, I'm all over the board on this because it's, I don't know, just going from one thing to another and it makes me think of something else. But Frank Muller, as talking about, you know, he, he even did uh, Comanche Moon, which is the uh, second book of the Lonesome Dove series. Lonesome Dove was actually book three. Then McMurtry went back and wrote books one, two, and then wrote a fourth. He wrote Dead Man's Walk, uh, which Will Patton narrates, and he's phenomenal. He's done some Stephen King books, uh, like uh, Mr. Mercedes, Finders Keepers, that series. It's like four or five books. Uh, he does those. He did The Mist. He, he's phenomenal. So he did Dead Man's Walk, but then Frank Muller did uh, Comanche Moon. I don't even remember who did the third and fourth books, but it was Lonesome Dove and then Streets of Laredo. But it's, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of people who can see probably wouldn't think it's as big of a deal as I do when it comes to narrators, but narrator's a big deal. I actually rebought a book. I believe it was Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott. Uh, the first version I bought it was a little cheaper, and I think it was just, I think it was originally done by Talking Books, which was done for blind people specifically. Uh, when I was growing up, and I'm sure they still have it, but when I was growing up, you, ha you, you had catalogs where you could order books on tape, and they get sent to you, and it was free shipping because it was material for the blind. And so you get these big-ass plastic containers full of tapes there was a specific type of tape player that they had for talking books back then that that was kind of cool um the talking books were recorded at a much slower rate because it took so many tapes i bought wizard in the glass which is the fourth of the dark tower series or i didn't buy it but it's part of the reason why i didn't do any better than i did at nationals when i was 18 because I, when I get hooked on a book, I, I just don't stop listening to it. So instead of being smart, I, I had taken the book with me to listen to. I had taken a couple. I was finishing up the third book, and then, uh, it's, then I was starting in on the fourth book. Because the fourth book had just come out a year or two before, and I didn't know it. And so I was up all night, you know, literally got no sleep before competition at nationals, you know, and it was 24 cassette tapes, 24. And when you buy the audiobooks like that, you end up getting the regular speed cassette tapes, but the talking book is recorded much slower so they can condense how many tapes you receive. And the other thing that's kind of crazy is these cassette tapes had four sides. You'd listen to the first side, flip the tape over, listen to side two. Then you'd flip it back to side one, and there was a little switch on the tape recorder, or tape player, it didn't record, just played. But it said, you know, it was one, two, slash three, four. So when you flip the switch to three, four, then you so you got four sides on one cassette tape but the issue with the talking books was they were essentially just providing 
a way for blind people to take in the material. And so in other words, people are just reading the book. You don't really get, like this day and age, like with Will Patton, Frank Moeller, uh, George Guidel, you know, uh, Tom uh, Stetchelby, I think's his name. He, he does a lot of McCarthy stuff. Richard Poe does. It's a performance with all the voices and they're, they're amazing at reading it. It's when, when you listen to the old talking books, they were just reading it. So you had the material. That's it. That's all there was to it. You know, so it's hard, hard to listen to a, a story that way. I think, I, I think it's really hard. It's really hard to sit through an entire book when somebody's just reading in essentially a monotone voice. That's part of the reason why I didn't get into it either in the reading early, like at an earlier age as well, because it was just such a drag listening to the shit. You know what I mean? It, it, it was fucking hard. But then I, when I, I just was bored when I got, came home from Milwaukee, you know, I came home to take care of the folks and there's only so much shit that I can do around the house. I'm not going to clean shit that's already been cleaned, you know, so it's something to do. I started to get a couple books and I don't remember what it was. I I re-listened to uh, the Dark Tower series and then I was like, you know what? I want to try something else by King. And so I ended up getting the stand and listening to it. And like I said, it was just a freaking performance. So... Audiobooks are freaking awesome when it for in that regard. But yeah, I'd suggest I'd I'd recommend obviously I'd recommend Stephen King considering how many of his books I own. Um because even the books I don't like are still good stories. Just for the same reasons as I described before. And especially with him and his character building. You know, Larry McMurtry. His Lonesome Dove series is awesome. Um, Wasn't quite as impressed with the fourth book. Well, it's still awesome, but I got irritated because he wrote Lonesome Dove first. And it was so popular. He got the Pulitzer Prize for fiction for that, I believe. For Lonesome Dove. So then he goes back and uh, does The Dead Man's Walk. And then he does Comanche Moon. Then he writes the fourth book, Streets of Laredo. And (laughs) so... The first and second book jive with each other. But there's certain details that don't jive with the third book. It's still the same characters. Still overall the same story. You know, but it's just certain things that don't line up. And I don't get why. That... It was kind of irritating to me, but they're still amazing books. And I, like I said, I'd, uh, Lonesome Dove's another one. I think it's like 37 hours on audio take, audiobook. But, and, and yeah, I understand they're, they're expensive. They're not cheap. Some of those books are real expensive, you know, like Cormac McCarthy's books, 
each audio book is like 17 bucks, you know. You can get a lot of Stephen King books for cheaper than that. Um, but I'd still strongly suggest like trying some audio books, you know. Like I said, the stand, as long as it is, still phenomenal, you know. But Cormac McCarthy, he's, he's a fucking stud. You can't take that away from the man. He's a phenomenal writer. He has some great stories. Kind of dark. They're pretty dark. But it's well worth it, you know. I just, like I said, it actually kind of gives me hope. The fact, you know, and maybe it's just because, because he's 88 now. So his last book, you know, what was that, 15 years ago? He was 73, 74 years old when he got that Pulitzer Prize. Maybe it was a gift since he was getting older. And obviously he'll never hear this, but I don't mean that to be insulting toward the man because I think he's got other books that are more than deserving of the Pulitzer Prize. Blood Meridian, like I said, just just phenomenal. The Border Trilogy, phenomenal. So... I'd definitely start checking some of those things out, you know. It's, I think it's so much better in television. I, it, for me, it, it, well, think about it. It's it's going to be better for me because if somebody has certain facial expressions in a story, it's written down and described, so it's being read to me. As far as television's concerned, if it's not in the dialogue, I'm obviously not going to be able to pick up on it. I may be able to pick up on the fact, because the actors use different tones of voices, obviously, if they're mad or if they're trying to be sexy or whatever, you know, but I, I think that audiobooks are highly underrated, highly underrated, and I'd much rather sit down and listen to something than have the TV on. I, I've been watching... The Sopranos, I got the series, and since Many Saints in New York came out, uh, I had seen the first season many years ago. I was probably 18, 19 at the time, and never watched anything else. And then on Amazon, they had the whole series for cheap on DVD, so I ended up getting it, and I'm somewhere in the second season. But the thing is, is I... I can't binge watch it because it's just like, holy shit, you know, it, just something about television anymore for me. I just don't care for it. But, you know, if if you want to smoke some ganj and sit and listen to the book, I, I don't really smoke anymore. It's very rare, but I'll tell you what, if I get high, I, I'm definitely sitting down and listening to the book. It, it's it's just awesome. It's entertaining. It's it's a time killer. It's entertaining and things like that. The the only thing that's hard, especially since you don't have to worry about your eyes getting tired, is you can actually end up losing some sleep because it's like, oh man, this story's so badass, you know. But oh, I didn't really finish what I was saying about Ivanhoe. Ivanhoe, the first version of Ivanhoe I bought. Um, was with the talking books narrator, and it just fucking blew. 
especially when you take into consideration Ivanhoe was written in like 1819, something like that, you know. So it's got that 19th century English from England English. So listening to some guy just spitting it out to see where it splatters fucking sucks. So I ended up finding another version and getting it, and it's an amazing story. I wouldn't have liked it if that talking book version was the only one I had. So, uh, at least, leastways on the iTunes store with audiobooks, they they have a preview button to where you can check out the narrator. So, if it's somebody I don't know, I tend to do that just to make sure it isn't one of those talking book people. But either way, I've been going on forever, and I've been all over the place. I, I hope... I hope it's been more enjoyable than the one I did on 1984. That was just a hard book to describe, period. But, you know, and I, I got into a lot more stuff than I wanted to, or not wanted to, but was originally intending to do, um, like with Stephen King and Larry McMurtry, things things like that, because it, it was originally just going to be about Cormac McCarthy and trying to get people interested in him. You know, because even with all the pretty horses and uh, No Country for Old Men, I think they even made The Road into a movie as well. But even with that, it, it's scary how many people don't even know it was Cormac McCarthy in that they were actually books. Most people don't even know they was books. So, either way, check it out, you know. if And... If there's any authors or books that you think I'd enjoy or you think I ought to check out, let me know. Like, hit, hit me up. littlemb6580 at gmail.com. L-I-T-T-L-E. M as in Mike. B as in Bravo. 6580 at gmail.com. Let me, let me know. Let me know what authors you like, what books you like. Uh, just don't... Please be kind. Don't send me shit like Danielle Steele or some bullshit like that, you know. And I, I, I'm not going to read James Patterson either, you know. But if there's, you know, I and that's the thing. I love 19th, 18th and 19th century fiction. You know, Henry Fielding, and I'm going to be going on for a little longer now because now I'm getting on this kick. But Henry Fielding was considered to be the first English novelist, period. I think 1749, I believe, is when he published Tom Jones. And that is a massive book. I think it's audio books, like 44 hours or something like that. But I'll tell you what, it, it is phenomenal. And, and it's what's hilarious and I found so amazing is it's 1749, and it's it's it discusses sex. It does it doesn't do it in vulgar terminology like what we're used to now. But nevertheless, it, it it's it's got sex scenes in it essentially, you know. And the book is actually got some hilarious stuff in it, absolutely hilarious. But you know, I love him. Uh, Sir Walter Scott, uh, he did, I know Stephen King wrote a book called The Talisman. Uh, well, Sir Walter Scott had a book by that name, 100, 
60 or 70 years before King wrote his. It, it's a phenomenal book. Um, Ivanhoe, Rob Roy, he, he's got, he, uh, Sir Walter Scott is considered to be the originator of historical fiction, which if you don't know what that is, historical fiction is basically a novel. The story is fiction. It's made up, but it is got historical figures in it. Um, ah, oh crap. What, what is it? Um, not Ivanhoe. I can't think of the name of the story. Oh, Kenilworth. Kenilworth has, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh in it, uh, Queen Elizabeth in it, you know, the Virgin Queen. Uh, you know, it's, it's got historical figures in it, but it's fictional. He's considered to be the originator of that style of fiction, of the historical fiction. And he, he's awesome. He, he's really good. Kenilworth is an awesome book. Awesome book. And Grover Cleveland, he's the guy I told you that narrated The Stand. I believe he's the guy that narrates uh, Kenilworth as well. Jane Austen, I'm, I can acknowledge that she's a good writer, but I did not like her story. It's, uh, well, in all fairness, the only one that I've read that I recall is um, Pride and Prejudice. I, I think Dixon, uh, Dickens is way overrated. Uh, David Copperfield is a badass book, don't get me wrong. That one is phenomenal, and it's massive as far as the audio version. But, you know, Oliver Twist and the stories like that, it's, I, I just don't like them. But Robert Louis Stevenson, a uh, Scottish guy from the second half of the 1800s, the 19th century, he wrote Treasure Island. He actually uh, wrote The Strange Case of uh, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, The Black Arrow. There's another one that I got that's that's pretty damn good, too, but... You know, I, I love that that stuff. It, I can't believe, I never thought I'd ever get to a point, you know, if somebody would have told me, even when I was in my 20s, that I'd end up like in 18th and 19th century literature, I'd have laughed in your face, you know. <laughs> there's just no way. Uh, actually, uh, The Virginian, it was published, I believe, in 1902 by Owen Wo Wooster. Um there's just a part where the Virginians talking to this girl about different books and Kenilworth was one of them. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's an actual book, you know? And so I looked it up and it was there and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll spend the 10 bucks on it and check it out. Awesome story. It's hilarious. It's got some badass action in it. And the thing that amazed me the most, I think it was published in 1821 and when you start reading Dickens, you know, David Copperfield was the same way, but it was still an amazing story regardless. All Dickens stuff, everything ends up happily ever after. Everybody gets their justice served to them, you know. And I don't, I, I don't like that all the time, you know, especially the way it was done in the 19th century. In the 19th century, it seems like when they have their happy endings... The last chapter is just going through each character and what they're doing now. 
<laughs> you know, it's, it's just kind of a load of shit, really. But uh, David Copperfield's still an awesome book. And Kenilworth by Sir Walter Scott doesn't have that happy ending. It just blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I was so happy that it didn't have the, oh, everything just works out perfect, you know. Uh, but then I ended up getting uh, Therese Raquin. It was uh, Amelia. I can't remember the dude's last name. But it's a French writer. And I actually heard about that in the last Stephen King book, Billy Summers. It came out this year, a couple months ago. And the main character in that was reading Therese Raquin. And once again, it's like, okay, is this legit? So I, you know, looked it up and found, found it on audio. Fucking awesome, man. It, it's the stories are just bad ass. I, I just, and it is creepy. It's got, Oh man. I, I think, he, I think, uh, whoever that Emil, Emil or Amelia, whatever his name is, I think he outdoes King on creepiness. And that's no bullshit. I, I think he outdoes him on creepiness. And he does this phenomenal thing in the book. And I don't even know if it's intentional or not. But it, it's a, it's got adultery and murder in it. And it starts out to where the victim of the murder and his mother you're like holy crap would somebody just off these motherfuckers you know because it's just one of those things to where you're actually rooting for the villains and then but then by the and then it goes back to where you're rooting for the victim and against the villains it's i know it was just i think it's a masterpiece the way it was done that that guy I, I I need to f- try to find something else by him. Once I'm done with Sutri again, I probably will try to find something else. But either way, ah crap! I've been going on for well over an hour on this, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep going. But either way, like I said, if there's uh, any type of authors or books that you think I'd enjoy, you know, I give you a wide variety of the different kind of shit I listen to. And I even listen to historical stuff. You know, I have four or five books that uh, Teddy Roosevelt wrote himself that are what once his autobiography. At one point in time, Roosevelt, after his first wife died, his his mom and wife both died on the same day, eight hours apart. And I don't know if... Um, Valentine's Day had been invented yet in the 1880s, but they both died on Valentine's Day, eight hours apart. So he ended up going out west to the Dakotas and bought a ranch. And so he's got a book called uh, Ranch Life and the Hunting Trails, where it talks about him going on hunts and the work they did on the ranch and stuff like that. It's it's just badass. I, I like all kinds of stuff. So if there's something you think that I'd like or something you just really enjoy, 
you know, and want to share it, hit me up on, you know, emailing me. Or if, if we're friends on Facebook, send me a message on Messenger and let me know. You know, because every, every book I've got, I've read multiple times. The only one I have not... There's two I haven't read multiple times, uh, more than once. One of them's Flowers in the Attic, uh, V.C. Uh, VC Andrews, something like that. That, that, I just, whatever, that book pretty much blew as far as I'm concerned. Um, Rabbit Run, it blew. Um, Gone with the Wind, it is massive. And I didn't like it. You know, I I just, it, it was, it was a great story. Don't get me wrong, but I just, I don't know. Didn't didn't like it. I don't I don't really see myself reading that again. But since I say that, I probably will. You know. But obviously, I've got a wide variety of what I like. If I'm going from Henry Fielding in the 1740s with Joseph Andrews and Tom uh, Jones and stuff like that, to uh, Stephen King, you know, and reading all his stuff, obviously there's a wide range there. So. If, if there's something you really enjoy, let me know. I'd like to check it out, you know. So, once again, questions, comments, whatever. LittleMB6580 at gmail.com. So, until next time, y'all take care.